I think uh, we are all aware of a state of deficiency called abhav with which we suffer as a civilization. We have degree in one pocket and purse in the other. Full purse. We don't need money, we need a credit card. But we have a heart which has become hollow and empty. It's the price we have paid for civilization. And therefore I call this a civilizational disorder. This lack of faith, lack of love. Because the whole education system has been tilted in a certain way. <clears throat> it's largely focused on the externals. So when we speak about science immediately, there is an image of... Um, books, physics, chemistry, biology, you ask any, any student, science, science is about physics, biology, chemistry and poor mathematics hangs between science and uh, everything else because mathematics is also a part of art, it's something very interesting, <coughs> uh, also in commerce. But um, there is a deeper science which we do not really know or speak about in in ancient times, it was called as Brahma Vidya. Now, normally, we think about uh, when we think about Brahma Vidya, we think, oh God, there's something very abstruse and difficult, and you know, only when we are old, uh, then we can probably even think about it, forget about pursuing it. But if I read the stories in the Upanishads, one thing which had struck me, particularly in the story of Satyakam Jabali, apart from many other aspects of this story, it's a wonderful story. But just one thing that he as a child wanted to have Brahma Vidya or young Nachiketa. He wants to know about the secret of immortality. Now, is it uh, that means that there is something known as Brahma Vidya, which is not just about interiorization and discovering the one. Yes, of course, that is one important part of it. And there is a progressive preparation, but it's about looking at life itself from the, on the basis of one and oneness. So right now when we understand science, we understand it on the basis of divisions. So there is this field of science, that field of science, this other field of science and we somehow try to bring them together and actually speaking there is a lot of dissonance. For example, how do I understand my physical body and its biology on the basis of quantum mechanics? But there should be a meeting point. After all, if I can understand my body in terms of chemistry, why can't I understand it in terms of physics? If I enter into that territory, immediately we can say that just as there are two laws operating in matter, and there is almost literally, literally two kinds of matter, one which we see on the surface, experience it through the five senses, and another which is like an undercurrent or like a, you know, another terrain which is very different which uh, which is rather the one which is more important which gives rise to this shape and form and uh, we don't know about it which which would mean that there is behind this body another body now when we today probably we can talk about it thanks to modern physics but still our textbooks don't uh, teach it children don't know it they don't know even their own body and yet this other body which we do not know with our senses just as we don't understand this matter only by the sensible world, sense, this, this idea being sensible. 
probably it's good to be a little bit insensible and <laughs> probe inside and discover that there is another universe which is behind this physical visible universe the other day i was speaking about uh, you know the psychological forces now the moment we bring in psychological forces people often wonder what is it about psychological forces now just as we have physical forces and these physical forces create physical structures why can't we it's very simple it's reasonable to even assume to start with that there are psychological forces which maintain our personality as it operates through the flow and flux of time so it's important to know what are these psychological forces how they operate let's take a simple example anger through this school we are not taught about what anger is whether we should be angry or not whether how to manage anger how to really um, tap even into the secret hidden energy of anger and turn it transmute it none of this is taught so the result is that we know everything and yet we cannot manage our own life in clinical practice i have seen so many lives get destroyed simply because there is lack of control over this one thing called anger anger management people don't know the lives are destroyed i have seen relationships fall apart simply because one or the other or both are very anger prone the gita has given this truth so beautifully that you know what happens when we are angry it eventually leads to a downfall and degradation and eventually we forget who we are and these the utter the the being perishes vinashti it's something very it should invite us that how to manage anger this question we don't raise uh, even in academic forums where they discuss about vedanta and tantra and other things people live seen get very angry if you if you say that look sir your paper is not original it's there in the gita at least you can have an acknowledgement <laughs> so this anger so what is the use of all this if we can't manage a simple thing like anger speech um, i'm just giving a few random examples a very very vast subject we don't know the effect of speech and we are speaking all the time for example at one place mother speaks about malicious gossip and its effect now in psychology we do use the word something like negative role playing i am just picking up some examples because these are common things which we experience in life now what it means is that if you tell a child you are useless you are no good badmash hai then the child begins to internalize it and begins to play it it becomes like a prophecy fulfillment and we are doing it all the time let's say in our relationship when we are criticizing someone basically we are encouraging a certain tendency in another human being and we think we are doing good now if we take the oneness paradigm then we will not do it we'll do it in a different way there is a very beautiful writing of the mother uh, in volume 2 one of her early writings and there she says whenever we encounter someone who is uh, you know what we may call as not a good person or even a wicked person what we should tell that person or have what kind of thought we should have she says we should tell the person and have this thought for the person arise o resplendent one it's amazing because it's based on oneness meaning thereby there is the divine presence in everyone and i can bring it out 
perhaps by constantly reminding see that's what is the story of valmiki put it very simply he is a dacoit and he has a hope he is a murderer and he is told that look there is within you this one and he is suddenly surprised that there is something like that can i achieve it yes you can achieve it how do i achieve it concentrate on that how do i concentrate take any no- name any form any symbol it doesn't matter but use it as an object of concentration taking it that this symbol this name this object represents for me the one so simple brahma vidya is then you discover the one when you discover the one interestingly you discover the whole creation if you look at valmiki story again what was his world ratnakar's world it was he his family means of sustenance for which you have to you know hook or crook you have to somehow manage to end this is what is the you know everybody's life by and large if you see outside that's what we are taught in schools skills and everything so that we can manage our life now ratnakar changes into valmiki look at it now he his world is very different world it's a world where there are gods there are demons there are uh, different layers of humanity which are evolving through a scale and he gives something that not only he i'm sure he must have been looked after well in his ashrama but generations after generations right up till now just by sharing the katha of ramayana people are running their households didn't it ramayan katha vachak <laughs> he has provided for a whole family which will come after thousands of years and they will live simply because they have read the ramayana and they can speak a little bit about ramayana it's amazing how this whole world changes this is the empowerment that one gets by brahma gyana so brahma vidya is not just about you know how will i manage my outer life in fact one will manage one's outer life a lot lot better if we begin to understand things on the basis of the one meaning thereby broadly speaking that there is a science of division and there is a science of oneness and slowly the world is already tinting towards this science of oneness and we should try to bring it more and more into our everyday life meaning thereby that at the root of everything there is the one everything goes back to the one everything comes back from the one now it takes away the very sting of life from which we suffer so take a simple example again that when we do something everybody does something or the other and often we do something for this someone now one is fine but when we add some before it we start creating problem we are doing it for someone and when we don't get back from that someone we suffer that i have done it for someone and we are not getting back from that someone but if we do it for one we'll get it back actually we are getting back not necessarily from that someone and we fail to see it you know very interesting story about king bhartahari so he is a like any other king he wants to marry the most beautiful girl uh, in the land and that land is confined to mathura and kashi <laughs> so he marries the princess who is the most beautiful of, th- of those times pingla and when the two are together he is madly in love with her so one day one uh, in his in his land there is a brahmin who is praying and lord shiva gives him a uh, apple and he says this apple is can make you immortal whoever eats it will become immortal so he says i don't want immortality i want moksha but whom should he give so he goes and gives to the king of the land 
that this king is a very nice person he deserves to be immortal so they give him give it to the king now the king says but i love her you know those he was none of them had common sense they could have just shared it or maybe you know just made a apple pudding out of it and shared in the whole kingdom <laughs> but <laughs> we leave aside this uh, this lack of common sense in the story but just the <laughs> about the story so the king gives it to his wife that she is uh, how can i what will i do by being immortal she is the one whom i love and i should give my best to her now secretly the wife loves somebody else see how advanced we were in those days <laughs> so the wife gives it to the man whom she loves and the man has put a facade of love with this lady because she is the queen this man actually loves a courtesan so he says i'll pass it on to her and the courtesan loves the king <laughs> so she comes and gives it back to the king now you see the story turns full circle now he is shocked that <laughs> he traces the whole chain and he discovers the whole secret and he has a vairagya so he says i don't want to rule any any more and i want it goes to the forest it's a very interesting story that you know he of course he is a great um, siddha he comes back his wife later on follows him uh, he has to go back and pray to his wife and say mother and take prasad from her so all this happens but that apart not going into the details of the story except that incidentally shubhendu has translated his um, 100 shlokas and it's beautiful it's it there has the century of life and uh, it's one of the must read on human nature on destiny how it operates uh, one and lot of humor in it like for example one place he says i have seen many animals who don't eat grass and don't have horns and they walk on two legs says <laughs> you know very very incisive very witty and it's wonderful he talks about fate very interestingly since we are at the subject and how things operate again he talks about fate keeping in mind the law of oneness so what does he say he says that there is a uh, snake inside snake chamara scottish snake and put it inside a little uh, tokri basket and the snake is very hungry you know they snake chamas don't feed them well because you know otherwise he can bite and also they they always as if drugged so he is very hungry and he is praying to whom to lord shiva give me my food i am inside this outside there is a rat who is also hungry see how shiva and ganesha are conspiring with each other so ganesha is also hungry uh, this uh, rat is also hungry so he is also praise and he sees this basket and says wow this is wonderful i can you know really something to eat is there so he gnaws the basket and eventually frays the uh, wooden uh, network and then he enters thinking there is a food but actually he is the food and the snake eats it gets the strength and escapes now it's a very amazing st- story it's not just a story but it reveals a very secret truth one of the truths for example the upanishad gives is the eater eating himself is eaten it's very profound truth another truth is hunger that is death it has such profound ramifications right on to the yoga of transformation because if we go to the roots of hunger what really is hunger in any form it is the sense of abhava with which we started something i don't have and i want it 
at material level it is food at lower vital level it is ambition achievement acquisition possession at higher vital level it is emotions i want somebody to love me hunger at an intellectual level it's always the imperfection the error that we encounter in life which we want to perfect now this hunger strangely becomes death how does it become death because it arises from the inconscient it's never satisfied it keeps pulling things back to it but there is a solution to it there is a remedy to it very beautifully like for example human hearts uh, hunger for love mother says so beautifully divine love is the remedy if you receive a touch of it not only do we not need love from anyone else we have so much within that we can share it with the whole world and still there will be lot of reserve inside so there are so many laws of living which we just don't know because we have never been taught and there are many 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 not touching into this field because you know there can be a 10 day workshop only on what are these subtle laws which govern our life but at least this much we should know as the mother puts it so beautifully we must know who we are and we must know how to master ourselves this is the bare minimum by mastering ourselves means how we think how we speak simple things how we feel and it has repercussions on the world when people would come and complain to the mother you know the child is very naughty in my classroom children don't listen many times the mother would tell the teacher that do you have control over yourself if you don't have control over yourself you can't have control over the class very strange it's an old truth that when there was a problem in the praja the raja used to feel i am responsible if if the 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 people in your kingdom are not doing well they are not prosperous you can't just blame fate you know that's why king janak tills the land because there is famine in his land so he says i am the one who must take the lead and then yes of course sita comes and the whole kingdom becomes prosperous so the whole story is about that if you are a leader it's important incumbent that all those who are working with us who are working uh, who are within our fold i take responsibility now look in this paradigm the leader doesn't take responsibility only for the success but he takes responsibility also for the failures that's the sign of a true leader whereas a um, sign of a modern leader is i am responsible for all the good and you are responsible for all the evil that goes on so there are so many things we can discover if we begin to enter into the law of oneness uh, another interesting thing which is an offshoot of this law of oneness is the law of sacrifice the law of sacrifices that whatever we give into the universe will come back to us and more importantly it goes into the cosmic pool it's not just meant for one person it is because we are all connected with each other and that's why if we make one little shift within ourselves it has a repercussion on everything else and then equally things come back and in proportion to what my need is like very often people say i am honest but i didn't get money well premise is wrong the reward of honesty is not money was i trying to be honest so that i get more money no as simple as that now to get money what should i do 
I must respect the force of money. I must understand the force of money. Again, live by the law of sacrifice and oneness, which means don't hoard money, but circulate it. So if we respect this law, money will increase, increase, increase. And, you know, this, simply because people know this law, that they respect the force of money. Law of time. If we respect time, time begins to respect us. So there are so many things just at this one level which if we understand, life would change completely. But we are, it's, as I said, it's a tragedy that through our entire education system we are not taught this. Uh, parents don't teach us, schools don't teach us and the whole society is organized in such a way that we live in a whole world of avidya. But not going more into it, equally there is an art of life. Now what is the art of life? See, art is about beauty and beauty, if you look at it, is about harmony and rhythm, colors. You may have a very beautiful color, put it not in sync with the rest and it looks like a blot. You have sound, a note, very beautiful note, but put it not in sync with the rest and it becomes noise. So there is a rhythm. So life has a rhythm. Everything can be tuned to the highest rhythm. Right now our rhythm of life is tuned to what, if you take a yogic uh, terminology, to the rhythms of lower nature. Even that it is not tuned. It's that, that rhythm is broken. And if we really observe our body and observe our um, life, everything has a rhythm. And if we discover this rhythm and tune it, probably we will save a lot on doctor's bills. And in addition, you know, now doctor's bill reminds me of another law. Uh, it's the law of insurance. <laughs> when mother was asked about uh, insuring things, she said, it means, I am not in favor of it because it means this lack of trust. It's a very, you know, there is an undercurrent of doubt. What if this happens? What if that happens? If there is doubt, by all means get insured. But also we are actually, by that process, actually creating the possibility of the event happening. So it becomes a, yes, self-fulfilling, self-justifying prophecy. So these are the, so many things. Similarly, if we get into the rhythm, now, one simple example of rhythm. Again, each of these is a vast subject. Take, for example, the seasons of life. Now, for everything, there is a season. That's why in, in Indian thought, we had, you know, the four ashramas. That there is a time for everything. And if you respect that time, a lot of problems will be solved. Now, one great difficulty that I encounter, for example, um, I wouldn't say where, but it's almost everywhere. People, when they are in the season... You know, there is a season which is called as Vanaprastha. And I find it's a very good season. Because if all the parents took it seriously that now I have lived my life in Grahastha, let me take to Vanaprastha, there will be no conflict between daughter-in-laws and mother-in-laws. I have lived my life, it's her life, their life, their challenges, let them face it. What about me? I have entered into another area of life. I have played the game. All that I can say is whether I played well or I didn't play well. But to prolong the game, turning a five-day match into a, you know, hundred-day match, who will be interested in watching it? So, to respect the season of life. Many people don't know how to grow old gracefully. It's a simple thing. Because, you know, it's very difficult to accept that there are seasons of life. And for each season, there is a joy. For each season, there is a beauty. For each season, there is a reward. But we have to learn to tune it. I am not saying that we should live with the idea of old age. No, not at all. But the season we should respect. It's a renewal. 
we are entering into the phase of renewal which means if i am very much attached and clinging to this life then it will become a deterrent to my moving forward this is my time to look into the beyond maybe create my future future life future birth future bodies who knows this is an exercise i often give to some people who are terminally ill so what can we do said yes you can still create your future what future my body is going to pieces yes the future is not the body or this body so then a simple exercise is imagine imagine if you lived again what would you want your life to be now we may say isn't it just fantasy but today's imaginations today's fantasies today's dreams are imprints for the future if we understand that what we think today is somewhere goes into the cosmos and prepares the future then why not beyond this body why we limited to just one body so why not we imagine what life should be would be for me for this earth for this world but instead we indulge in morbid imaginations not knowing that god has a secret plan somewhere you know that suddenly kim jong kim jong with all its fangs may suddenly retract and say no i want a peaceful world <laughs> it can happen why not let's think of beautiful things it will create a future for myself and for the world so this is the rhythm of life for every age now if a young person does that it is out of sync with his season youth is a time for action not for imagination only act act on your dreams live your life what happens learn from it grow from it so because youthfulness is like that very often when very young people 15 16 adolescents would come to the ashram to practice yoga shobindu would say no he said because what will happen is you will get into conflicts because adolescent nature has a very strong vital and it will create conflicts inside so more often than not he would say go out have an experience of life and then come back it's called respecting the season you know somebody came to swami vekananda and said i want to renounce life and swami ji asked him very simple question what do you have to renounce A 19 year old boy <laughs> what do you have that you will renounce so he was nonplussed he said what do you mean he said go to the world earn 1 lakh rupees and then you talk about renunciation those days 1 lakh rupees hey, go earn and then you talk about renunciation because then it carries some meaning similar so spirituality you know young age it's not an escape from life if we have not faced life and taken the challenges we cannot face the challenges of inner life so there is a season for it youth is to take the challenges of life to wrestle with it doesn't matter winning or losing is not that never was never the game the game is about playing it well if you play it well you have the joy and that takes us to the third issue of commerce of life often people ask what did god give me god doesn't believe in you know this idea about karma after five lives god will give you something for a good deed you did today that would be a silly god and you know what kind of a god after five lives it's like you know uh, you know I, i then i should get the memory that i did this good deed or i did this bad deed no it's instantaneous how is it instantaneous we can try it actually everyday life any deed which is done in an unselfish state 
any deed which is done in a state of widened consciousness instantly brings it reward and what is the mint in the treasury of god there is only one mint and that is called delight and it supersedes all the mints because at the end we are seeking it with all the money in our bank and position we are seeking for that so he says okay fine i'll give you this and see the joy one experiences even a passing what we can call in our ignorance a good deed i'm not going into what really is a good deed very often good deeds are motivated by all kinds of selfish uh, intentions but let's say genuine generous deed something where you know you are passing by the road and you see someone who is you know in need of help someone who wants to be picked up and dropped somewhere you do it and you see instantly there is a touch of joy of course the proportion of joy is in proportion to what has been done now this brings instantly its own delight that's how people who sacrifice their life for the country are able to sustain themselves why if they start thinking about their family back home they will be miserable but they are thinking of a much larger unit it just gets instilled into the mind of a soldier that you know your nation's honor you know this is the quote for the soldiers that the honor and safety and good of your country comes first always and everywhere the honor good and safety of your fellow men comes next always and everywhere the honor good and safety of yourself comes last always and everywhere now it's in indoctrinated it's a wonderful thing one of the things for which i uh, thank uh, my entire air force service that because we were seeing it everywhere and it was it goes into your system it's something so beautiful to live by that you know don't live for yourself and that gives you so much joy instantly the idea that you are not living for something small that's what mother says in the science of living that each of us must have a name that's true because without a name we are like i often give this example that somebody is going somewhere and you ask so sir Uh, how are you i am doing good where are you going i don't really know imagine catching somebody on the road worse still somebody is sitting inside a train and you ask that uh, where is this train going and you say i don't know you are sitting here you know i don't know i'll wherever the train takes me i'll go where will you get down i'll see maybe where everybody is getting down i'll get down sheep flock mentality is dangerous situation so see, all of us must have a name imagine life without a name but then she says something very interesting your aim should be high and wide generous and disinterested why it is so the higher and wider the aim the greater the delight as simple as that the more narrow and selfish we are the less joy we will experience it's a simple equation and the wider we are the greater the joy even in everyday life take for instance two people are living together and even one person living forget about two persons because there is a whole universe always and there are always trees and you know plants and animals and everything around even rocks and this thing so one person can live only for himself i am living i have nothing to do with all these things he neither cares to speak to the trees nor waters them nor cares for the animals nor you know bothers about the material uh, things which are in his surroundings and lives only for himself 
will be a very miserable and unhappy person. It's a miserable life. But if he takes everything into account, as he steps out of the house, he wishes a good morning to the, you know, tree. Hi, how are you doing? The tree waves it, yeah, doing good. So, no fruits this time? Yeah, yeah, they are going to come. Don't say it openly with the mouth, otherwise they will refer you to a psychiatrist. But doing good, yeah. You can talk to the tree. I can tell you, trees absorb a lot of our problems. They have this tremendous reserve. Sitting below a tree, talking to a tree are actually therapeutic things. Yeah, as a psychiatrist, I can tell you, I have recommended it in works. Talk to a tree. He's living conscious. Plants. I want some roses. Can you please? And when the rose comes out, don't just say, Ki, pluck it and put it here. No. Just say, thank you so much. You look beautiful. Mother gives this example about a panther. She says she went to see a zoo. And there there were two panthers. So one was a shy one who would not come out. And the other was a more aggressive one. So, but the shy one was very beautiful. But nobody would really like to, you know, they, they could never see. So mother says when she went, she started communicating with the other one. And she kept saying, you know, you are a beauty. Why are you hiding there? Come on now, you know, come out. See, you are so beautiful. After a while, he slightly strained the neck and looked that side. <laughs> Imagine, sometimes I wonder, Divine Mother calling, <laughs> what it would mean. So then she says, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow, this is something so nice. Slowly comes out and, you know, stands and gives a full view. And everybody is so wonderstruck. She has spoken to Cobra and telling, look, you know, I am not disturbing you in any way. You are so angry sitting with your head in front and then she realized she is probably sitting on its home. And she says, yeah, yeah, I understand. It's my mistake. And gently, without alarming him, looking into the eyes, she shifts a little bit. Now when he sees that, no, no, she doesn't mean any harm. She doesn't want to occupy my place. She's not like other human beings who want to possess the land. So he suddenly dropped the hood and went back to the river uh, from which he had come. So these are such interesting things about the commerce of life that we, we are in a conscious interchange with this world. The rocks can begin to speak and support us. The weather, she says, make friends with the sun. Everybody in Pondicherry, oh, it's so hot. Now how does it help? Even if you put an AC inside, you will have to step out. How does it help? But she gives us another way, make friends with the sun. So, and nowadays this kind of advertisement is coming, very interesting, you know, that they are making these so-called inanimate things more and more as if they are conscious. Like the sun tells this boy, all the time everybody praises Chanda, Chanda, why not me? Similarly with the reverse, with everything, we can make friends with all of them. And then they will begin to deal with us as if we give them real respect and we treat them as conscious being. And this is so important to deal with everything as if it's conscious, it's an expression of the one. Mother had a contract with material nature. So there was a time when she would uh, ask people to count all the flowers and people asked mother, isn't it a very boring exercise? Every day we have to count all the flowers. Mother, we have enough flowers. She says, yes, at one point they were not enough. 
No mother, but now we have enough. This is my child. This is my contract with material nature. Material nature has promised that she will collaborate. I want to see whether she is keeping her word or not. Strange interchange of life. This all the time we are interchanging. Laws of interchange are very important. Nobody teaches us this, and one of them is that we begin to grow. in the likeness of one whom we love that is the whole basis of bhakti very powerful law i don't know of any law other than the law of sacrifice which is more powerful direct simple and straight than this law that we grow into the likeness of one whom we love as simple as that nobody is telling us don't love love is a very powerful you know love is creation itself but be careful Because you will grow into the likeness of one whom we love. So beautiful, such a simple thing. Law of association and interchange. When we are friends, and we all socialize, but we are not. We don't. Uh, we take it casually. What is there? I have just spent few hours with a person, and those few hours means a lot of interchange of material. Especially if this interchange takes a sexual form. because there is a very deep intimate relationship and things pass on from one to another that was the ancient basis behind keeping one partner it had nothing to do with morality it's not about morality and do good and don't do good it's simply that you stabilize in a certain kind of interchange in a relationship over a period of time so you become one unit in a certain way even if you are fighting you become one unit but at least this keeps you within a certain range of safety of course there is a truth of the other side also but these are subtle laws which we need to understand and this is another kind of commerce which is taking place all the time and creation gives back to us in ways which we can't even imagine i mean we don't know why we are keeping healthy could it be that you know i'll give you an example of a cat cats are very sensitive to vital vibrations now once um, amal kiran had a cat and one once some people killed the cat there were people who eat cat and they have very gory way of killing a cat so it's not worth remembering and then he goes and tells mother about the cat and his wife is very unhappy and says you know my child the real reason you know she had she means wife had a desire for a big house this desire was very very strong very strong inside her and the cat took it upon herself this desire was inviting all kinds of forces which was leading to illnesses and this cat took all this upon herself and she died she gave her life to safeguard what we can call the use the word master they are, they absorb a lot of such things and we think it just just a cat whom we are feeding they they give their they return back in in strange ways which we cannot imagine because i am taking the example of cats because cats otherwise don't give anything back cats are not friendly creatures unlike dogs you know dogs will give lot of emotional uh, return but cats will very often remain shy i can tell you both because i have both uh, <laughs> whom i interact with so cats will not come out and they will not much play with you 
unless for very long time they begin to stay otherwise they are basically private creatures but they are very sensitive to what's happening to you and they just take it on themselves because that's how they express their gratitude so there is a whole way of dealing with creation like a secret commerce of life morning when we get up we can just thank the day that's why these things and at night once again thank seeking protection when we are sleeping because we are going to interact with all kinds of forces so this whole uh, world which is waiting out there to be explored and this whole world is based on the truth of one is a different science and the gita hints about this science when it talks about the ashwath tree if you want to understand creation go to its roots roots are not in matter but roots are in the brahman above so this brahma vidya is not just about knowing myself it's about knowing creation but knowing creation as the divine knows it let me close with this one single law which comes from that and very interesting we all know isha upanishad and how it starts with it gives a very profound law it gives many laws one of them is how to be free from grief so it says if you see the one self everywhere you can you'll you're free from grief very strange but yes it's so true so practical psychologically so reasonable law and it starts with one law isha vasya midam sarvam yat kinch jagatyam jagat everything is for the habitation of the lord everything that is in motion from the quasars to the galaxies and then it gives a very profound law it says tena tyaktena bunjita by renouncing you enjoy nowhere we have heard about it then did we associate renunciation with pain oh my god i have to leave this i have to give up this but what is isha upanishad saying it's saying by renouncing thou shalt enjoy and then from that it derives the next magrida kasya suddhana what is the point of trying to possess another person's acquisitions see it goes in sequence how do we want to correct this tendency start with this thought idea that the divine dwells in all and everything is meant for the joy of the divine start with this and in everyone everything in every activity then when we do that slowly we we will begin to experience that nothing really belongs to me this is the true renunciation renunciation is not externally giving up an object if we, if i give up something externally it means it belongs to me that is the great fallacy of yudhishthir incidentally in mahabharata that in the game of dice he has put everybody on stake believing that they belong to him that's why krishna doesn't tell him to go and fight he could have then itself told them that injustice has been done to you but yudhishthir at that moment has been like a deluded person he has put everybody in his kingdom as if it belongs to him his wealth as if it belongs to him it doesn't belong so first thing is that nothing belongs to me everything belongs to the divine advantages of this look swami vivekananda went abroad in america he stayed in many homes he felt comfortable everywhere he is a sanyasi those days everybody treated him as if he is a person from the household he would stay 3 4 days same thing in india despite language barriers despite everything how he could feel that intimacy because he was living in this sense that the one brahman is everywhere so it was not home of x or y or z it is the lord's home the lady who is treating him or greeting him is maanapurna 
Now, if you live with that state, why would you want to possess and acquire anything and limit it? Because the whole creation belongs to the Lord to whom you belong. And by default, wherever you go, whatever you need will come to us. So, there are many things like this, but uh, as I said, it's a very vast area. We'll stop here if there is any questions, because we still have 20 minutes. Yeah, okay. Yes, I'm so glad you brought it out. Uh, the law of karma. I, I actually it is so well known that it just went off the handle. <laughs> the law of karma, as it is understood, popular notion of karma is that if you gave hundred rupees to somebody in five lives back, today you will get it back from the same person, today or tomorrow, one day. Now, what is not mentioned is whether you will get it in the same mint or whether there will be interest over it. Say, if you are given 100 rupees, five lives back, then today when you get it, you should get some lakhs, no? Because it must have increased. <laughs> I am just joking, just to keep, uh, keep the humor. So, uh, it, and to show the absurdity of it all. Because many people literally believe in it. Uh, the law of karma as reward and punishment raises many questions. Why Pandavas had to suffer? Pandavas were nice guys. And if they had, they were evil in some previous life, how come they were so good-natured? They became saintly. Equally, Duryodhana lives a prince, born a prince, dies a prince. Though we all know he is a wicked fellow. At least a very ambitious fellow to start with. And he has done some wicked acts. But may not be outrightly wicked. But he was definitely a strongly ambitious fellow, borderline personality, who will threaten suicide, who is, gives orders to, you know, um, um, disrobe and do whatever with his own sister-in-law. So that kind of a person, he enjoys life outwardly. Now, this is the external aspect. So why was he enjoying? So according to this typical law of karma, maybe he was a very nice person in previous life. Okay, if so, how he became such a degenerate in this life? Also, there are other issues in law of karma. Double punishment and double reward. First you are roasted in hell, then you are roasted on earth. First you have the reward in heaven and then you are rewarded on earth. Third problem with this popular notion of law of karma is that reward and punishment is only seen as if money and externalities, as if God is also valuing these things. So if you are a good guy, he will give you birth in a rich family. The Gita doesn't say so when it describes the law of karma. It says if you have done karma, same karma in a state of tamas, you will have delusion. Even if you have given dana, you have given gift, indiscriminating gift, leads to delusion in the person who receives it and the person who gives it. And it applies to all levels of gifts, including the gift of knowledge, which is the highest gift. Give this gift of knowledge, oneness to somebody who is not ready. He will say, wow, God is everywhere in everything. Now I can kill anyone. Na jayate, mriyate, it's not ready. It will cause delusion. Rajas. You give a gift in a state of rajas. It will bring sukh and dukh. Nothing to do with palace and money. Do it in sattva. It will bring prakash. Light. 
do it in a spiritual consciousness it will create conditions so that you can come nearer to the divine so karma law of karma is intrinsic it has nothing to do with external things in our life now intrinsic means intrinsic means what we are on a evolutionary trail and karma is the evolutionary mechanism karma opens the path this way that way because karma implies a choice karma implies applies not only in action but also in thought our thoughts feelings will impulses and eventually external action are the result of a combined choice whichever totality of our being makes so long as there is conflict there are contradictory wills but once we decide there is a choice and we can't give anybody else responsible for this choice i have ultimately chosen it so it it's about autonomy and responsibility what is the result of it intrinsically we will either grow faster we'll grow slower we'll temporarily have a setback we may deviate from the straight road eventually everything will reach there but the road that we will take in our journey towards the one is what karma implies it has nothing to do with reward and punishment but god does give reward that's what i was mentioning and it's instantaneous you see people ask sometimes that acha ashram mein kuch miracle hota hai you know people have a idea about tell me about some miracle that happens in the ashram so once i was you know humorous state i said see a lot of miracle happened but let me tell you one miracle so what is that miracle acha you know person feels what happened some dramatic story i said yeah the story is not so dramatic and yet very dramatic the thing is you know people come from various walks of life many of them who were uh, say somebody who was an engineer but is washing utensils in the dining room uh, things like that and somebody was so and so and is working here i don't know why they remain happy this needs to be studied <laughs> with all the challenges and problems of a collective life and the challenging weather i don't know why they remain happy you take this survey i can tell you that there are some always you know people who complain but very interestingly i'll come to that just in a moment 90% of the persons i can assure you with now 15 years 16 years maybe i am constantly staying here and earlier my association 90% and i interact with all kinds of people not just uh, you know select few 90% of people are inwardly happy they have nothing many of them are staying in a room small room they share a common bathroom they are eating food in the dining room every day okay it's prasadam for us but many people can't take it and one can get bored not technically so to say same food they get clothes from prosperity and most of the time for women it's like you know typical benji style clothes you know and uh, for men it's like <laughs> you can ask a pajama or I, what i mean is you people want to wear something different and you and there is nothing wrong in it but I, all the time saying is but they are happy inside there are some who complained but there also have a take sometimes when somebody complains so much so i say give this suggestion yeah it's such a horrible place you know how about trying to go somewhere <laughs> you know no no why should i go <laughs> something you are getting which you are not acknowledging if you really see something you are getting and those who have some very few percentage they have gone away and they become miserable i know this also from uh, i met people and 
things. Because this, then you realize what you lost. So what are you getting in the ashram? What miracle? I don't know. I have learned to be happy. There is a beautiful line in Savitri, passage in Savitri, where Shubhinda puts it about Savitri's personality. He says, as when a bird chased by storm with tired wings and there is a hunter behind and she enters into a safe place and then he describes it in a haven of safety and splendid soft repose. She is describing the mother's being that we, the soul is like a bird chased by storm and the hunter looking for some place where it can you know so the moment it enters a lab then he describes in a haven of safety and splendid soft repose life could drink back in streams of honey fire recover its lost habit of happiness and I think the divine gives it just like that it doesn't ask anything from us not even service you touch him you think of him you come near him, you love him even this much and he will give abundantly the delight. So, essentially, the reward that we are seeking in life, which we get instantly, comes from the divine. Karma is about evolution, the path we will take. And it has nothing to do with reward and punishment. Of course, there is something called as universal justice, but that is not to do with karma, that is to do with the balance of the world and we are not touching upon that. But there is a law of universal justice where if there is a tendency which is excessive in one direction, there will be a counter tilt because you can't create too much imbalance. So that's why wherever there is an, you know, very often people talk about, for instance, sometime back, and I am very vocal about these things, safe front terror, this term had come. Now, even if there is something like a so-called safe front terror, it would be a counterbalancing tendency to another kind of extremism. And if you keep that, this is going to be there in some way or the other. It, it will balance. If you really want to take it away, take that out. Because it, they, otherwise there will be imbalance. That's how it had started. You know. So, we must understand it's about the law of balance. It's about determinism, universal justice. And it can sometimes come to an individual. If an individual is extremely uh, aggressive and like Cengiz Khan and you know, creating havoc on the world, there will be a universal recoil. But this law of justice doesn't apply to our individual life that I took 100 rupees and I have to give back 100. It doesn't mean that we should take 100 rupees and not give back. For God's sake, it doesn't mean that. Charvak <laughs> Siddhant. Because if we do that, we will not have the joy of it. We will have the ice cream in my hand, but my eyes will be on the policeman. People who save uh, taxes by wrong means who steal, what happens to their life? They are very unhappy. Yes, anything else? In, in which... Uh, uh, oh, between Kanata and Tamil Nadu. Yeah, so anything which is based on division is falsehood. Let's put it like that. And this will continue till we learn that we are one family. It's not only about Karnataka and Tamil Nadu, it's all over the world. 
what is necessary is some individuals on either side who can say we are one family let's share it after all the farmer dying on this side or that side is my own being we don't have that consciousness we and right now unfortunately many of these states they are living with this idea that me and my alone it will collapse if you live life like that you are cutting yourself from the vast universal current look at it we are entering an age of globalization and internationalism and in such an age to come back to my language and my people is anachronistic it had its meaning at a point of time and it's everywhere maratha manus everybody should know marathi same thing in hindi no it can't be you are living in a different world altogether and it's a regressive thing what is the solution we should the solution is that let's there there are several ways i don't know how they have calculated but you can actually literally calculate that how many farmers how many people are there what is the requirement of water in both sides and then you distribute another solution is which um, is a long pending solution which has its plus and minus but i i am more in favor of it is the interlinking of rivers but of course this is a, another kind of uh, issue which has to be third solution is rainwater harvesting so many things we can evolve based on one is there is so much pouring down fourth is that learn to conserve water all these are a package it's not about let me get more water and then i will throw it off so when there is a discussion going on and there should be an awakening and education of the people along these lines which the politicians never do because they want votes otherwise they should educate the people i mean one man who i am so happy who spoke about the cricket venue being shifted that don't bring politics into cricket poor all time favorite rajnikanth how much flack he got from everyone i mean he is right after all that don't mix these things what are you really achieving now when you have a cricket being played in chennai what are you bringing revenue you are bringing in job people lot of hawkers everybody you have not bothered about it has it helped into the water problem being solved no so this idea there has to be solution nobody can deny it but the solution should be based on oneness and not based on division so this is how i look at it of course one can go into its nitty gritty and what are borders is becoming anachronistic yeah so when we talk of oneness yes so this is a very broad thing about boundaries yes so what i uh, what i in my personal life every moment there is a struggle and not able to see this oneness at every point of life yes when i go to the samadhi when i hear a lokji this oneness knowledge remains very very good and practical question and i can give you only one suggestion because that suggestion is what i try to practice the host of suggestions it just to see the mother in everyone 
and to just try practicing it several times the mind will deviate sometimes there will be strong currents let's say of anger or misunderstanding and confusion you will also lose the handle you means any of us will lose the handle but later on we should get back so it's okay initially because the as the gita puts it even the mind of the sage can be um, troubled by these storms let's be realistic yoga is not like you know okay from today i am a yogi because i have joined an ashram well it's it's a lifetimes pursuit but every time it goes if the compass is right that this is where i have to go that's why the first thing should be goal why am i pursuing spiritual life when mother was asked tell me something about yoga she said first question you have to ask is why you want to do yoga so am i doing it to satisfy ambition am i and now i'm talking in general and then i'll come to the specific question why am i doing it is it to get some powers is it to become a swami is it to become a guru yogi etc etc even to help humanity none of these is sufficient basis am i doing yoga because i want the divine for the sake of the divine now once we have this then naturally we will keep reorienting so we should have become like that gps whichever way you deviate it gets you back because you have punched in the goal that's why she gives mother gives a very interesting solution the goal the aim should be like a bird that hovers all the time over you i lost my cool okay it was a moment now you know people often forgive no that's not the point or some people you know oh that person did this to me no the fact is i deviated from my own goal so what do i do i gather back remind myself that look you know i have to be more conscious i have to be more vigilant and this way i have to be more sincere how to become more conscious vigilant and sincere ask the mother mother yesterday or today mother few minutes back i lost my cool i became angry you know very interesting i am just reminded of very interesting uh, surendra jor one day he was in a lot of you know disgusted mood and he went to mother and mother said so how are you he said mother i am it's i mean a state of disgust revolt disappointed depressed despair so mother went inside she brought a dictionary with her this is my child in my dictionary the words are cheerful happy confident <laughs> so within a moment his he was changed so what she did she reoriented so we have to remember the goal i think one of the very beautiful things that the upanishad says remember the goal even in savitri when savitri is given a program the voice replied what is the first thing of the program is remember why thou camest this briti all the time that you know why you ranilam ritam achedam bhasmantam shariram om kratosmar kratam smar there are many ways of understanding is i have a very ambitious down to earth practical man so i look at it very practically kritosmar kritam smar remember remember what you are doing remember the will rest all will pass away why you renal amritam achedam bhasmantam shari it'll all pass away but what will stay with us is the goal so i think this, what is important is to remember the goal uh, if possible all the time whenever we deviate to bring us back reorient the gps after a while it become a natural corrective offer to the mother every time we lose the memory and as a practical uh, process or method to try to see the mother in everyone even in uh, 
somebody whom we outwardly don't like at all. Because the truth is that the divine presence is in everyone. It takes a lot of courage, perseverance, grace, long time. But eventually we will reach a point, vantage point, after which it will be a smooth sailing. Just this one practice. At one place with which I can end, you know, because uh, we are having these conversations. and So at one place, Mother says something very interesting. Shirobinda says something very interesting. Yeah, they're both one. <laughs> so, it's a very beautiful passage. Lift your eyes towards the sun. It's in the Upanishad, Ishavash Upanishad. Uh, please look it up. It's very powerful. Lift your eyes towards the sun. And there he says that, uh, look who is there in the galaxies, in Orion with his shining belt and says, then come nearer. Who is he uh, who has set the great Himalayas, the root of your hills? And then he says, come nearer. Look, look here in the old man and in the little child. Who is there in the blush of a girl, in the laughter of a boy? Look here. And then he says, nay, he is nearer you. He is in you. And then he says, be not a trembler and a doubter. Fear not, grieve not. For in your apparent body dwells the million-bodied one. Now, this simple meditation that, you know, uh, it's nothing else but she. And in that same Ishavashupanisha, that one point he says, it is he who has set himself here listening to yourself in me. So, every time at this, this what I try to, I pray, Mother, you be the speaker and you be the hearer. Thank you.